read God's word together. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. If you can read that with me, that'll be really good. I'm reading from the ESV, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, had promise, promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Father God, we, we thank you for your word and we pray as we sit and the sound of your word, would you speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us, feed us, and be glorified. We thank you in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. I want to talk to us about parenting today, as you kind of figured. Uh, parenting is not easy. Uh, I asked one of the uh, younger uh, mothers what her favorite parenting song was, and she said, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. And I thought that was, that was very apt. I mean, she didn't even have to bat an eyelid. She just said it right away. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Dan, our son, when he grew up, um, he would say to us that his greatest revelation was we as parents didn't know everything. Uh, sometimes they tend to think that, you know, we, we know it. And I, and I guess that's the idea that we're coming with. We, we are looking at this parenting and we're saying this is beyond us. So I want to title today's sermon as the Christ-centric parenting. Now, I know we looked at the passage from Deuteronomy, and you would say, that's Deuteronomy. How do you, how do you call it the Christ-centric parenting? And I want to say this, that, that right there in Deuteronomy, you see the heart of God when it comes to parenting. And for us on this side of cross, as we are able to see through the lens of grace that we see uh, that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are able to appropriate the truths of this word to our hearts. And I, and I pray that that is what would happen. And I also want to say the sermon is not limited just to parents because as we will see very shortly that it's not just for parents, it is for all of us. Okay, and so the question we would also ask is, uh, why parenting? Why do we have to talk about parenting? What's the big deal? Look at me, I turned out pretty well. You know, our kids will figure out. They, you just have to give them time. 
And I, I want to read to you a quote by George Barna because that really, I, I think, really encapsulates uh, the truth. Uh, every dimension of a person's life experience hinges on his or her moral and spiritual condition. And that foundation of moral and spiritual condition is laid through good parenting. We don't want to take grace for granted. We don't want to assume that just because God's grace is going to work in our children that it will figure out, okay, we shouldn't forget the stewardship responsibility that we have in good parenting. And so that's why this reminder, that's it, that we would look at God's word and, and see what God's word would have for us. And so this, this model that I want to call it the Christ-centric parenting. First of all, I want us to know why, because the Lord Jesus Christ says, apart from me, you cannot do, you can do nothing. That's what he says in John chapter 15 and verse 5. You cannot do you can do nothing. You know what that means? He is not saying you cannot do anything because you know you can do things. You know there are people who, who parent without necessarily looking at the Bible. I mean, they're not doing biblical parenting or anything else. So the syntax of the sentence, the way the sentence is laid out, it's not that you cannot do anything, but you, cannot, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying to us that apart from him, it does not amount to anything. We are not able to impact people for eternity without Christ, our children. And um, the second reason why I, I thought about this is because we embody Christ, do we not? You know, we, we're the first instructors. We're the first responders, as it were, to our children. They, they, they see in us who Christ ought to be because we are saying this is something we believed and so therefore we want you to grow in this and they're looking at us and they're trying to match. They're trying to compare. Is this the Christ that you're talking about? And so the stewardship responsibility is so much higher as we begin to realize that we as parents therefore have this, these souls given to us as, as stewards. And unless we, unless we are dazzled, unless we are caught up by the glories of Christ, how can we pass this on to our children? So what I want to do as we turn to this passage, I want to hit on three words. Hear, love, and teach. Three words. And through that, hopefully, we will lay for ourselves some truths that we that we can take back as parents and as, as people, right? So the first one is the word here. In verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel. You would have heard the word shema. It's the Hebrew word shema is for hear. Listen, hear. But what's interesting is they have taken the whole passage and they call it shema as, as, a, as a prayer. That's what this, this word Shema is. Now, Shema is recited uh, in an Orthodox home in the morning and the evening when people are born, when, when kids are born, when people get married, when they die. Uh, the Shema is recited. It, it's recited during uh, dedications. It's recited during events, feasts. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was asked to summarize the law, he quoted the Shema. He, he, he speaks from 
the Shema. Now, the question that I, uh, you have to ask me is, but what does parenting got to do with this? And I want to suggest to you that this Shema is the job description of a parent. It has this spiritual curriculum, as it were. And if you want to raise your children in a spiritual sense, this is what is what we have to do. This is how it's laid out so that, you know, they, they can understand the truth of God's word. Secondly, I want us to understand Shema is reminding us that this is multi-generational. It is not just parent to child. Turn with me to verse 2 of that, and it says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. You see, this parenting has got a long-term focus. So grandparents, your job is not done. This impact that we have as parents is not just for the moment. Our influence is not just for the present. It's for eternity. So when we want a parent, we, we, we're not just trying to adjust the present condition, but we have an eye on the eternal. So as grandparents, I know we sometimes think that grandparents, are, our, kids are, our grandkids are there for pampering. And I want us to say, uh, I, want, I, want to, I want us to remember, yes, they, they are there for pampering, but also for prospering in the Lord. Because that's what verse 2 says. It's sad when you think about um, Israel's history. They had all these truths, but when you get to Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says there that after Joshua and the elders with them had died, there rose another generation that knew not God. Within a generation, another generation has come who did not know God. But you know what's more sad? What's even more crazier? that if you flip one book back, exactly chapter 2, verse 10. So this is Judges chapter 2, verse 10. If you get to Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, Rahab is telling the two spies who came out to spy the land, she is telling to them this, saying that we heard how the Red Sea was parted and you crossed over. That was 40 years ago. Rahab and Jericho is trembling. Uh, the, the city of Jericho is trembling because they heard of God, what he did 40 years ago, and here is a generation that has forgotten who their God is and the good things that God has done. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, like, who failed? Is it the priest? Is it the prophet? Is it the Levites? Maybe, but more so because of Shema was forgotten at home. Failure at home is the failure of the nation. And so, in, let's turn to this in, in um, Psalm 78, verse 4. Psalm 78 and verse 4. Asaph, who was like the worship leader during David's time, he, he, is, say, he is saying this. He says in verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. And then he goes on to explain what God has done to the nation of Israel. This 
reminding again and again. You know, one of the, one of the things that we, we would say, you know, if we are saying that we, we are redeemed, we, we, we've been saved, it's a costly sacrifice, and yet we have the emblems every Sunday so that we can remember the Lord and to show up with his death. Uh, and, and we're thinking sometimes like, no, I'll remember the Lord, I'll remember the Lord, but God knows our heart how easily we forget. in the sense of remembering of who God is. So how do I bring the Shema home? How, how do I make this real in my life? Now, I guess that's a question we have to ask ourselves. And the first thing, if Shema has to be real in our lives, it is that it must begin with us. We cannot give what we don't possess. That's the truth, right? As parents, we have to understand this. How do I teach someone, how do I teach my children if I don't possess this myself? And so learning to be committed to, to know God and to know his word. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you'll be scholars and be perfect or whatever it is, but your commitment to know God so that his word is something that you can pass on. I can tell you one thing that, that this is important is that when your children are able to see that there is a time that you set apart for the reading of God's word, when they see you on your knees, you tell me, how, how many of us here can say about our parents that I have seen my mom praying and it just gives me that kind of comfort and strength and my faith becomes real as a result as I grew up, isn't it? It begins with us. But then it also, there's a need, as Shema is telling us as we go down, we'll look at that, saying that there's a need to build traditions and habits at home. What it's saying from verses 7 to 9 is whether you're waking up or whether you're, it's, whether you're sleeping, whether it's mealtime or whether it's drive time, it doesn't matter. Those are fertile grounds for the seed of God's word to be planted into the hearts of your children. Those are opportunities. We're looking for faith-building conversations. We're looking for these connections. You see, anything that happens, is there a highway that leads back to Christ? Because I want to be Christ-centric. I want my child to know who Christ is. Would I be able to borrow lessons from circumstances and situations? They want to know that you are able to see Christ for yourself in a situation. I, I was trying to, you know, like what are some of the ways, and I, I, these are not, you know, I'm, I, I was just thinking, like for example, you know, you, I, I remember once in Iowa while we were, we had gone off to, you know, we were at a, at a, you know, far out place, like there was no electricity, no nothing at all. We were sitting out on the skies looking up and we saw the brilliance of God's word. And I thought that was a great time to be able to tell our children from Psalm 19, the, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, when, when, you, when you serve food, another example, sorry, when you serve food and, and, and there are days when you haven't added salt or you've forgotten salt or you haven't added enough salt and they say, oh, there's no salt and there's, no, there's something wrong with them. That's a good opportunity to say again, say, you know what, listen, we are the salt of the earth. They see how much of impact that we can make in the society for eternity. 
to, to draw from life lessons. to answer every question that they have, the why question, but why dad, why mom, the why question that keeps coming because they want to know the why we do what we do. Sometimes it's, you know, it, it gets annoying, but the why is the foundation because when you lay the why, then the how becomes easy. You get that point? You tell them, we, we, we'll, we'll see this when we get a little down. We, we cannot tell the how without having told the why. The why. Christ-centric life. And so, when we talk about here, we're saying, let it begin with us. Let it begin with an intention that we want to teach. But second word I want you to look at is, verse, uh, is, in, uh, is in verse 5, which is love. Love the Lord your God with, with all. I mean, that should have been enough. Right? I mean, he should have just said, hey, but just love the Lord. But he goes on to say, what? What does he say there? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What, he, what God is saying, giving these specifics, that he means business. And by repeating this, this loving God with all your, uh, your heart, your soul, and your might, he is emphasizing priority. It's priority. Priority that God, the love for God, would have priority. See, life is caught, not taught. Right? I, I'm tempted to almost do this. Let's do this. All right. Let's put your hand out right in front. Make a circle, circle as I'm doing it. And I want you to do all that I'm I'm uh, uh, saying, not what I'm doing. Okay? I want you to do what I'm saying, not what I'm doing. All right? So. Uh, turn your hand around, circle, circle. Do what I'm saying, not what I'm doing, all right? Now, touch your chin. All right, touch your chin. Right, what, what happened? What happened here? I want you to understand this. What happened is we observe, we practice. That's the template that we lay out. That's the, our kids are watching us. That becomes a lesson. You tell them something without you doing it, they're not going to follow May that be a good lesson because the templates that we lay, the template that we lay is the observation, is the practice, is from the practice that we, of how we live our life. Loving God with all our, uh, uh, with all our might, all our soul, all our heart is not just about priority but also exclusivity. One God how many God? How many gods do we believe in? One God. How many God do we serve? No, I hope it is one. You see, because we, we sometimes become functional polytheists. You know what I mean by that? Is because you can say with your mouth, "There's only one God," but the way we act and the way we believe is that we've got many other gods. Because our priority and our exclusivity of our love is not specific to this God. It's not Christ-centric. It's not centered on Christ. And our kids are the ones who will point this out first to us.
we're thankful for a God who, who gives us as parents what is it that we can do that when Christ will reign in our lives, our children are able to see that our desire is to honor him. They know we're not perfect, but they're looking at our intent. And so that our homes would be a home where Christ is honored. And I ask myself, how do I point Christ? How do I make this real? How do I make this love real to my child? I want us to think of an example. I mean, you're trying to, let's say, discipline, or you're trying to talk to a willful child, a child who's disobedient, not listening to you. Now, how do we, how do we um, handle this? Okay, but let me, let, me, um, let me talk just about those idols before I get to that. It's important that, that we need to recognize that our children are always, uh, um, you know, building idols in their hearts. When they're born, they, 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 they come crying. They, they come saying, you know, pay attention to me. I'm important. You know, I, I need my help. My needs are important. That's what a child does. They are self-focused, and, and we think that's all right at that point, that's helpless, but as a child, as a parent, sorry, our intent for the child is so that we can direct their attention not on themselves, but to Christ, and as they start to look up, they're able to see outward too. It is Calvin who said, I, I believe it was Calvin who said, our hearts are perpetual idol factories. So what we're looking for in our children as we raise them is that there's, is there anything else that's competing for the attention of our child besides God? And so as parents, we direct their allegiance away from themselves and turn to God. And as parents, we we shine the light of God's word onto their idol so that they can see, indeed, that's an idol, that's an offense to God. We, uh, as parents, David Tripp says this really well, he says, we're not to polish the idols of our children. You know, because when we see bad behavior, sometimes we label them as cute behavior. We're like, what, well, that's really cute. And so what we've done is we've rewarded them with attention, we've rewarded them with praise for something that was wrong at the first part, just because they were little, we thought that's all right, but now that becomes the template. The water that runs on our track will continue to make it deeper, and that's the danger of not diverting attention away from themselves. Because as parents, we need to give them the vision of glory and the greatness of our God. You see, our, our children's, uh, children, we are designed to worship. I want us to understand this, all of us. We are designed to be awed, not awed. Some of us maybe, you know, but awed as in to worship. 
we worship. We, we, we look at, you know, whether it be Hollywood or whether it be sports or whether it be music or whatever. There, there, there is somebody who we look up to. And we want to let our children know that no other praise, no other being awed except Christ is worth it. Everybody else will break your heart. The children don't know that. You know it, and you have to direct their attention. So if you have to give them a dream, if you want to give them a dream, give them a dream that's greater than themselves. We, we, we do want to have them, we do want them to have a great career, great life. I mean, that's great. But if our, our template is just so that it ends with the temporal, just so that they have a great career, great marriage, great whatever, and, and, and all that is important, but if, if they can see that that is the end, not the means to the greater end of God's glory, they catch on and they will have a lower vision. I hope as parents we can recognize that. So we design, we, we, we teach them, we, we are taught, uh, as we learn from God's word, and then we teach them to love. We, we lay out a template, we, we lay out this love. Our house would be the place where they would recognize that this is about, the parents are interested, the parents are focused, they are intentional about the glory of Christ. Listen to this. Give them an insight from God's word so that they can catch a sight of our great God. In verse 7, it speaks about teach. In verse 7 to 9, the word is teach, that we as parents would teach. We first learn, and we have a template of, of love for God, which is the priority and exclusivity, and now it's time to teach. And I want us to understand that this is formative instruction. What I mean by formative instruction is you're laying down the groundwork, the foundation, as it were, on which this child is going to build his life. His worldview or her worldview would be based on this foundation that is laid. It's like having a pottery barn at your in your house because you lay this gentle pressure so that you can shape the mind and the heart and the character of your child. You see, there is a shaping that's required. You all have a lawn, most of you. The one that needs to be tended and the one that grows wild, you know the difference. The, one you, the ones that you do want to grow on your lawn takes a lot of care. And the things that you don't want in your lawn are the ones that you're, that are, that's growing up on its own. So every time you look at the lawn, every time you look outside and you say, oh, my lawn, think parenting. of How they need to be tended. It's a time to show them the true north. You know, that's the teaching. It's, it's showing that this time that we have is so that we can, we can show to them how the compass of their life needs to be focused on Christ. Let's do this. I've got some time. Close your eyes. 
Okay, without opening your eyes, point to where you think north is. All of us, okay, just point. Point with your finger. Just hold it, hold it, okay? Everybody, point. Don't look, don't look, don't look at anybody else. Just point. Don't be shy. Point to where you think north is. Okay. Now open your eyes. Don't put your hands down. Open your eyes and see where you're pointing. But that's where north is. I think so. I don't know. Okay, that's where. All right. Okay, you saw the compass? That's right. Okay, I was supposed to have the compass myself. But the point is this, right? The point is this. The point, that's all right. That's, that's, that's okay. All right. Knowing the real north is not as important as pointing, listen to this, as pointing the real north to our children. If we don't know where the north is, how do we point north to our children? It's only God's word. The moral compass is in God's word. The spiritual compass is in God's word. It's God's word that we're we going to say, God, would you show to me that I can show to my children the true north? It means to show them what is Christ-centered living. You see, in verses 7 to 9, it talks about, you know, um, um, when, you, when you talk to them, when you're lying, when, you, when you're about to sleep, when you wake up, when, you, when you're eating, and all of those. And then it goes on to say, bind them in verse 8, bind them as a sign in your hand and as a frontlet bef- between your eyes. Or you can write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I, I remember when I met some Orthodox Jews that before they prayed, they have this box that they tie on their forehead and, the, and a box they tie on their arms because the scripture, the Shema is actually in it. And you might think, wow, that's, that's real. You know, how precious that is. But that is not what God is saying to us. You see, God is not saying, take this word and just tie it to our foreheads or to our hands or to necessarily write verses on our doorposts. I mean, that's good that you would do that. But if it's not affected you or impacted you, haven't tied to your hands, if it's not changed the way you do things, if you put it on your forehead, it doesn't change the way you think. If you laid it on your framework of your house, but if it's not in the framework of your life, then it doesn't mean anything. God's word is meant for transforming and for transformation. You lift God's word up to your children. Show to them the preciousness that there is nothing more powerful than the word of God. This word of God that made the whole creation is the one that will redeem your children. And you must point them to this because Christ is the one that must be glorified in their lives. Let's do this. Now think about this. Now how do, I, uh, how do I apply this, right? Like how do I parent my child? Let's say my child is, is rebelling. We'll come back to that. We, we, we just saw that, right? And so there are different ways that we parent. One is we bribe our children, right? If you behave well, I'll give you candy. If you behave well, you know, you, you can watch TV. I don't know, whatever it is. It's, it's the reward system because with reward, now what happens if that's used, overused, then your child will not do anything except after he or she receives a reward. Reward is more motivating than anything else. What about shaming our children? 
But sometimes you share. Sometimes you say, well, you know what Jesus is going to think about that, right? I mean, we, we use him as heavy artillery to shame rather than to point to the glories of Christ. It's so that the child is now thinking, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm being shamed. There's a difference when, it is not, when he is not missionally used. We'll touch on that, but, but we sometimes we, we haul the threats at our kids. Don't let me come up there. Wait till you get back home. Sometimes these are empty threats, and they see through that. You see, they see through that. They, if, it's an empty, if you have said it, keep it, because you want to be faithful to your word. Your child needs to be able to see that you are honest with your words. So don't haul a threat if you don't mean it, and don't haul a threat, period. Because we, through intimidation, are only altering behavior, not transforming the character or building the child up. The worst is, I think, sometimes uh, we use distraction. I don't know, for whatever reason, sorry, I, uh, for whatever reason, you know, our children, we, we, back in India, I think this particularly as I was growing up, and if the kid's not eating, they always point to the crow. Look at the crow, and then the food goes into the mouth. You know, like, what's the crow got to do with the food? But distraction, you see, when we use different types of distraction, because, you know, what you're setting up that child to do, that they need to be rewarded, they need to be hollered at, they need to be distracted before they can do what is right. When is scripture going to come into the picture? If the DNA of the house, if the, if the, the identity of the house is based on the pattern, which is the priority and the exclusivity of their love for Christ, because you have spent time talking through the, through the word of God, you can lead them back to that. You see, when, when there's rebellion in the house, there may be an opportunity, a good opportunity, a right opportunity, time to talk to them about Saul and how Samuel told Saul, saying that rebellion is worse than idolatry. It is against God. You talk about obedience, and when the child says, why obey, you're able to direct them to the Ten Commandments because that's what God demands. That's his command. It's because of him. Not because we, we just want to look good, that we, our kids are well-behaved and we got some good kids. And we often want to draw glory for ourselves when it should be directed to Christ. He alone must be the reason why we parent. But let me give you some principles as, you know, that's important. Some principles to bear in mind as we parent. First, you cannot correct without instruction. I want us to understand this, and that's what I said about the how and the why. You see, how do you, how do you correct somebody? How do you tell your kids, behave, 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 but you haven't told them how to behave. You see, they need instruction first. They need to be told the why. They need to be told why this is important from God's word. And then you make the correction because then you can course, course correct. You bring the child back to what God's word is saying. Second, correction must follow instruction. You've done the instruction. You've given them the, given them the theory. But if you have no you know, no intention to carry it through to, to uh, enforce it, or to correct wrong behavior, then your instruction is just wasted on you, on the child. 
And then correction is to build and to encourage, not to break and to destroy. You see, uh, oftentimes when we talk about this, we think about family altar. And I, 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 I believe family altar is important. But if that becomes just perfunctory, if you're just doing it because you kind of checked it off in the morning and the evening, but you haven't used that time as an opportunity to feed into your child's heart, then we're not fooling anybody. But I must say also to my shame, as, uh, as I give you a personal experience, and I know I take uh, permission from my family as I say this, is when we would do our family altars, it became a time of correction. Of you didn't do this, you did that, you didn't do that, and I was just, it wasn't healthy, it wasn't helping. It became correction rather than instruction. Rather than pointing to the glories of Christ, it became about behaviors that we want to adjust, modify behaviors without giving, them the found, giving him the foundation, as it were, of God's truth. Thankful to God where he is. But we all as parents have regrets because we, 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 don't, have them, we don't have it laid out, on, but we have the manual that we trust him. Instruction is so important. Instruction can come even when they're about to go to sleep. You have, you know, I have, for example, this book on the New City Catechism. Great book. This is written by Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife. And these are just stories that you can, sorry, these are questions and the answers that you can just one by one go through. And, and you're, you're forming a foundation Because, my brothers and sisters, we, we live in a world where the, the affections of our children are being, being you know, being, there's, there's so much pressure. And our desire and our responsibility is to point them to Christ. You see, we, we tend to discipline because they're in, we're inconvenienced. You know, that's where our discipline comes in because it's not convenient. I mean, I, I want to do some work and the child comes along and says, okay, not now. You know, we, we, we just, we're inconvenience is how we discipline. How many times did I tell you not disturb inconvenience? Or sometimes it is embarrassment because I'm made to look bad in front of my, you know, my friends or my colleague or whatever it is. It, we discipline because of embarrassment or we discipline because we are threatened, because we feel our authority has been undermined. And those are the reasons. But when will it be about Christ? So I do want to say parenting is not easy. We began by saying it is difficult, but I do want to say it is impossible without God's word and God's truth and God being the center of our reason for our home. And so Christ-centric parenting is where Christ is, we are centered in Christ and we have the joy of leading our children to find Christ as the center of their lives. Christ-centric parenting is where we are centered in Christ. When we are saying, I, I want God to be glorified in our house, we live 
with our template of love for God, exclusive priority. And we have the joy of leading our children to find Christ for themselves. I say this, don't beat, your, beat up yourselves, you know, in guilt and say, oh, I made a mistake, I didn't do this, I'm not doing, you know, that, that's, that's from the devil. The Spirit of God tries to build you and strengthen you. So begin by saying, Lord, I have this compulsive self-love. I tend to, you know, try to do things for myself. I'm, 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 I'm this compulsive self-lover. I, I need to be served myself, but help me to break down those idols that's coming in the way of directing my child's attention to Christ. So, so be it, Lord. Help me. I need your help. Let God be your father so that you can be a parent to your child. Trust him. As we think about this, that we want to be, teach me, O Lord. Show me the template of what it means to have God as the center of my life so that I can now teach my child. You know, you've heard this expression, right? You came with nothing and you're going to go back with nothing. You think that's true? You came empty-handed and you go back empty-handed? It's only partly true, I want to say, but one of the things you can surely take back with you, hopefully not at the same time when you die, but uh, is your children. The stewardship responsibility, <coughs> responsibility given is that as we invest in them, the word of God, that they are able to see Christ for themselves. What a joy it'll be to worship our Lord together as, a, as, an, an, as an earthly family where we haven't lost anybody. And so for my prayer as I will pray is may God gives a, give us the strength to be that Christ-centered parent. What I want to also suggest you do is one thing that, that I want you to do, one thing, just one thing for this week. Take a piece of paper, write down that one thing that you're struggling most to be a Christ-centered parent. One thing that you find is the one that you're not able to do and not able to parent well or be a grandparent or in preparation to be a parent, whatever, it's for everybody because you have somebody in your life who you can influence. What's that one thing that's preventing you? Write that down. Use that as a bookmark in the daily reading that you, you have for your Bible. And every time you look at that, re pray to God, saying, God, would you give me grace and strength? One thing. Because we, we're done with just, like, I want to, but not getting down to. Let's take God's word seriously. I got some handouts also, I mean, some extra notes that you might be helpful. I'm going to leave it there, and, and if you're interested, you can pick that up. But would you rise with me as I pray for us as parents? Father God, we, we come to you, Lord, recognizing that, that the work that is cut off for us is beyond us. It's, it's an impossible task. But yet, Lord, you have, you, are you have trusted us with, and, you are, and some of us, you're, you're about to trust, trust us with a soul. 
and some of us are grandparents here, and some of us have influence on children in different ways, and we pray, Father, we pray, Lord, oh God, we pray for mercy and for grace, just as you have said, that we, it would not be because of us, Lord, that they have not been able to see the glory of Christ, that it would not be in spite of us, Lord, that they have come to know you, but because of us, give us the joy of knowing that we as parents were influential in their spiritual life, that we have been able to lift their eyes up and, and to dream high and to set their eyes on heavenlies and to be able to see Christ in his glories and his, in his completeness and his fulfill, fulfillment um, and so that this, this, this scope of eternity would be their life, not just today, not just, Lord, the daily grind of things. Lord, oftentimes our lives are so uh, inward-looking and so short-term that we pray, Father, we pray that you are God who are, who are God of the universe, who said you are our Father. We can call you Abba, Father, Teach us, O Lord, so that we can show to our parents this great God. And so that we can rejoice with them when they have, when we see them grow in, in faith. When we see them not live in the mediocrity of their faith. When we see the signs of redemption in their life. When we see the passion that they have for Christ because Christ has gripped their hearts. They're able to see everything that they see through the lens of Christ. May it be so, Lord, and for us, and for me, and for all of us here. We seek your help, Lord. We pray that you be glorified. We thank you that you answer prayers, and that this prayer is in your will. And therefore, confidently, we say thank you for answering our prayers, because we offered in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated.